Welcome to Harvest. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us today. My name is Pastor Micah, and uh, we are so, if you can't tell, we are so excited to be in Christmas. Um, man, we have been working really hard to prepare for this. We've got a brand new series we're kicking off today called The New King, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the gift of Jesus that God gave to us, his people, uh, and how that has impact on our lives even to this day uh, in our in our lives, in our culture, uh, in the year 2018. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're just going to dive right in today. This whole series is kind of anchored in an Old Testament prophecy about the new king from Isaiah chapter 9. Okay? So go ahead and find Isaiah chapter 9 in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. You can grab one of those if, and follow along with us there. We'd love for you to do that. Um, but we're going to be camping in Isaiah 9 for this series. And then we're also going to be touching in Matthew chapters 1 and 2 today. So if you want to get Isaiah 9 and then maybe kind of put another finger or something over in Matthew, uh, you'll have both of those ready to go. That'd be awesome. So this, as we jump into this, uh, this series and this prophecy, it's all about these four names that God prophesied over the coming son, Jesus Christ, and what those names mean and what they have, how they have impact for us in our lives today. And so that's um, what we're going to be digging into one each week. And uh, this week I was preparing and I was uh, reading this story about a pastor who, uh, who was raising some daughters, and he was telling this story about raising his daughters that when every time Christmas would come around, he would always tell his, his girls, he would say, now I want you to remember that Jesus only got three gifts. So when you look under the tree, don't be disappointed, okay? He'd tell them this every year, every year he'd tell them this. And, um, and so one time they were at, you know, it was Christmas time and they were at worship and they had like a little kid's sermons. They invite all the kids up. You know, you ever seen this? They invite the kids up and they do a little thing. And so there and he's talking with the kids and he says, uh, what do you guys think Jesus would say about, you know, all the Santa and hype and all the presents and stuff? And in fact, do you think Jesus would want to ask maybe a question to Santa or something like that. What do you think Jesus would ask Santa if they met? And uh, one of his little daughters piped up and she said, I think he would ask him why he only got three gifts and none of them were toys. <laughs> Fair enough, right? Um, we all love our toys, right? Even us as adults, can we admit that today? That we love our own toys uh, as well. And so uh, we're always looking for that. But if we get really serious today, I, I think we can all uh, agree as well that Christmas really isn't about the gifts, or the toys, or the meals, or the time off. Like there's, there's more to the story than that. There's more to it. And, and for us as followers of Christ, as the church, um, you know, I don't think Jesus was really worried about the gifts. I don't think that's where his focus was. And, and it's a reminder that we need to be using this time not to focus on those types of things, but focus on how can we draw closer to God? How can we draw into what he's done and how he's working and what this season means for our relationship with him. And uh, so the first attribute that we're going to look at this week out of the Isaiah 9 text that, G that God ascribes to his son Jesus is wonderful counselor. And in that title, wonderful counselor, really what we're digging down on is that God, uh, Jesus, God in the flesh, uh, is the wonderful counselor. He has wisdom to plan. And we're going to see how God's plan has worked itself out throughout the years leading up to what we now celebrate as Christmas. And so as we drill down on this, here's kind of the main thought for you today. Joy is having no regrets because I'm following God's perfect plan. 
We always want joy in our lives, right? Especially at Christmas, that's like one of the things we're looking for. Like this should be a happy, joyous time of year. And sometimes we can look for that joy in places that fall flat. Um, But I'm telling you today that if you'll take this message, if you'll take God's word to heart today, that you can find joy in your life and it comes through aligning ourselves with God's perfect plan as we're gonna see here. So look with me at Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. Let's start there. Actually, I'm gonna start in verse one and then jump to verse six just to give you some context. So verse one says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Verse six, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. First point this morning is this. God had a plan for his son. God had a plan for his son. Just to give you some background for this particular text here in Isaiah 9, what's going on here is Israel, God's chosen people, at this point in history, are in rebellion. They've turned their back to God. They are now pursuing other gods. They're now pursuing their own interests, their own desires. They're not worshiping him. They're not following him anymore. And because of that, they are suffering due to their rebellion. They're just on the verge of utter collapse, being uh, uh, captured by another country, by another king, and taken to another country. Like things are about to go really, really bad for God's people here. And in the midst of all of that, even though they are, are... deliberately rebelling against the God who brought them into this great kingdom, he still has mercy and grace on them. And in the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of the destruction that's coming, he wants to give them a a word of prophecy, a promise, that even though it's about to go really bad because of your choices, there's still hope. There's still something coming that's better than what you're going to be experiencing now. And that's where he gets into this. He gets into verse 1. He says, there will be a day where there is no more gloom. Because, verse 6, a child is born, a son is given. There's going to be someone coming in the future that's going to change all of this. And he describes him as one who the government will be upon his shoulders. That's king language, right? That's saying he's going to be the one bearing the weight of leading everything. He's going to be the one in charge. He's going to be the one leading the way. It's all going to be on him. There's a, there's a boy, there's a, a one that's going to be born that's going to be born a king. And not just any king, he's going to be on, from the throne of David. If you know anything about the Old Testament, David was like Mecca king, right? Like, like out of all of the kings and all of Israel's history, David is the high point. And and maybe out of all kings in all of history, David is the high point. David was lifted up as the man after God's own heart, as the supreme king, the one that made Israel what they were, that built the kingdom up, that David was the guy. And, and God made a promise to David that someone from your lineage, someone from the line of your family will always be on the throne. And now, on the utter brink of destruction, the, the nation's about to collapse and be carried off into captivity, and it looks like the, 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 the Davidic kingly line is about to be extinct. And God says, don't worry. There's another one coming. I'm going to raise up a king, and he's going to be from the line of David. I'm going to keep my promise. And he says, in his kingdom, there will be no end, and it will last forevermore. 
So he's not just any king. He's not just a divine king. He is a divine king. Because we can all agree, human kings don't last forever. Right? Human kingdoms don't last forever. They have an end. But not this king. His kingdom will last forever, the prophecy says. So now we've kind of got clued into, okay, there's somebody coming that's going to be bigger than all of this that's going to be, be beyond anything we've ever experienced or seen or imagined, and he's going to rule over all of it forever. That guy's got to be a God guy, right? Like, that's got to have something more than just human in him. A king like no other. This came to be known to the Jews as the coming Messiah. That was their title, right? The Messiah was going to be the king that was going to come and rescue them and, and give them a, a place again and give them freedom again and lead them out as God's chosen people once more. What we find out through this prophecy is that God has a plan. Say that with me. God has a plan. He does. He always has. And to show you that in the New Testament, let's just kind of look at a couple of scriptures of where this comes to bear. So flip over to Matthew chapter 1 now. And look at verse 20. This is Joseph, Joseph's encounter with the idea that he's getting ready to be father to God's son. Verse 20, he says, But he, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's like, whew, thank goodness. Some of y'all get that when you get home. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here, Joseph has this encounter with an angel, and the angel tells him, hey, you're getting ready to be father to this long-awaited, divine, messianic son. And he reminds him, remember, you're a son of who? What's it say? David. David. Right? This kid's coming to fill the throne of David. He's like, it's coming from your line because you're in the line of David. This is getting ready to happen. He said, you're going to bear a son, the promised child, and you shall name him Jesus. Jesus, we say Jesus in, in English, but in the Hebrew, is actually pronounced Yeshua, which literally means God saves. Right? You're about to have a son, and he is going to be the one whose name brings forth the prophecy that God saves his people. He even ties it here to a different prophecy than the one we just read from a different spot in Isaiah where it says, Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So this is two different places we found already in the Old Testament where God has said, this is going to happen. Where he's told us, I've got a plan, and this is how it's going to work. And here in Joseph's and Mary's midst, a 700-year-old prophecy is fulfilled. Why? Say it with me, because God has a plan. Are you tracking? Look, flip over one page, or maybe the other page in your Bible. Chapter 2 in Matthew, look at verse 1. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is what we just had the monologue in worship about. The wise men coming and following the star because they had read in God's word about another prophecy, a third prophecy that claimed that a messianic king's son was going to be born and the way to find him was this brand new star that was going to show up and lead you to the place. Not only did they know the prophecy, they believed the prophecy enough to make this vast journey halfway across the world to find this divine king that was being born. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, this will be on the screen for you, verse 9, it says, Paul writes this, he says, And to bring light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul is telling us is that he's like, listen, God's always had a plan. And here he calls it a mystery. That he's bringing to light this mystery plan that he has had for all of the ages that nobody else knew, that nobody else could comprehend, that nobody else could even come up with, because nobody else is wise enough to figure this whole thing out and make it happen. But this mystery plan, this manifold wisdom of God, he has now made known to us. He has revealed it. How? Through Jesus, according to the eternal purpose in Jesus. We'll keep, we'll keep going, it's okay. Finally, God is carrying out his eternal purpose through the birth of Jesus Christ. This is Advent, this is the Messiah coming, this is Christmas. This is what it's all about. God has a plan. But like any good plan, it requires patience and execution. Galatians 4.4 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Fullness of time basically means that in God's perfect timing, some of the Jews didn't think it was so perfect, right? They'd been waiting for a while. <laughs> they thought God was long overdue at this point, right? They thought that this thing should have happened a long time ago. But here it says that in the fullness of timing, God's perfect timing, God's plan, God's timing is always perfect. It doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always look or seem that way. But it's proven over and over in his word that indeed that is true. And so he sent forth his son, Jesus. God became man and took on flesh at the perfect time. Many of you know that my parents divorced when I was a young boy. And uh, I remember after that happening, uh, many nights 
uh, laying in bed and, and talking to God and just praying, like, God, you, 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 you can fix this, right? Like, you can bring them back together. You can heal our family. You can do the, please, please fix this. And I, I remember praying that over and over again, knowing that God, that's, a, that's, a, that's a prayer that God would, would agree with, right? Like, we're not, I'm not praying for, like, you know, the Lakers to win or something. Like, this is, like, something that God actually cares about, right? Like, and so I'm praying this over and over, and, and, and I couldn't understand why God never answered that prayer. I couldn't understand why, why that never came back to, to fruition. Like, what is going on here, Lord? This last week, my mom asked to have lunch with me, and so we got together for lunch, and we were talking and just going on, and, and about halfway through, she, she said she needed to tell me something, and I said, okay, and so through tears, she, she proceeded to tell me that God had really been working on her heart and just felt like that she needed to come to each one of me and my siblings and just apologize to us uh, for not fighting harder for their marriage back when that happened, and, you know, dark things and dark places, and we all get there, and, you know, but, but she just wanted to ask for my forgiveness, and I said, Mom, that's already... It's already long forgiven. Like, I, I made peace with that a long time ago, and, and you know, you and Dad, and, and that's, it's, it's fine. I, I thank you, but it's fine. But in that moment, I, I realized, not in that moment, I already had this, but it reaffirmed in me, reaffirmed me, that even in the lowest points in our life, even through our sinful, broken mistakes, issues, God can still make good out of that, right? Now, don't, don't get me wrong. God in no way would have chosen for it to go that way, right? That was not God's plan A for our family. That's not God's desire. But even when we misstep out of the plan, God can take it and he can use it. And I look back now over the years and how God has used that broken season in our family's life to do so many things for his glory in ministry, and in our family, and with our kids, and in counseling, and I mean, I'm I'm able to step into so many situations now and help others because I've been there. And God's using it for good, and he's using it for his glory, but that can only happen because God, in his ultimate wisdom, as the wonderful counselor, has the wisdom to see the plan and to work it all out. We can't do that. We can't fix things the way that he can. God has a plan, and it's the perfect plan that one day he's going to use it all for good. Do you think that God regret the plan of giving his son? Do you think God regretted the timing of when it happened? No, absolutely not. Even when we still today sin and rebel and reject Jesus, God didn't regret it for one moment because this was the perfect plan. The wonderful counselor is seeing it through. I know some of you, many of you maybe, are waiting on things with God right now. And he seems late. And he seems overdue. Maybe he even seems absent at times. Maybe it's that relationship that you're longing to have and you want so bad and you're looking for that person and it's just not there yet. Maybe it's that sin that plagues your life day after day after day and you're like, why can't I just get freedom from this thing? I just want to be done with that and walk away. God, where are you at? Maybe it's that wayward child that you're just praying every day that they would come back to the Lord and back to the family 
and get back in the plan. Maybe it's a financial burden or a health burden or something that you just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You're like, God, you've got to show up and fix this. Maybe it's that spouse that you long to see come to the light of Jesus Christ. And you're praying and you're asking God, show up in this. I just want to encourage you today. By men, this is just one of many, many examples in God's word. Be encouraged. God has a plan. And although he seems late to us and overdue at times, he indeed is not. His timing is perfect, even when we can't see it. And what he asks us to do is to step in and put ourselves underneath the wonderful counselor and trust that he has the wisdom to plan. And if we'll follow the plan, he'll work it out for the best. My joy this Christmas will come as I trust God's timing. True joy this Christmas comes as I trust in God's perfect timing. So God has a plan for his son. Point number two, the son had a plan for his life. It wasn't just God the Father that was in on the plan. The Son has a part in this as well. Look back at Matthew 1, 21 again. We just read this a minute ago, but it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was born to save God's people. That was his purpose. That was his whole reason for coming. That was God's plan. But it wasn't just God's plan, it was Jesus' plan as well. Like he knew it, and he was in it, and he was going for it just as much as God the Father was. Jesus knew the plan. Check out these verses here on the screen. Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Jesus talking. He knows. He knew the plan. Like it wasn't a mystery to him. He wasn't like caught off guard, like, oh, we're going to the cross now? Like what's, what's this? Like he knew what was going on. It was his plan too. John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He knew the plan. He was coming to lay down his life for the people. Not only did he know the plan, he prophesied about the details of the plan. Check this out. This is really cool. Matthew 16, 21 says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things for the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus is telling his disciples, here's what's going to happen. Right? The next chapter, Matthew 17, he gives them even more detail. Verse 22 says, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. He will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. And then one more time, a couple chapters later, he gives them even more detail. Here's what's coming. Verse, uh, Matthew 20, 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. 
that is not some generic, abstract, psychic hotline, fortune cookie type of prediction. Are you following? Like, this isn't one of those ones that you can like fulfill any way of a million. Like, this is a specific, detailed prophecy of here is what's going to happen. Jesus knew the plan. He prophesied about the details of the plan, but even more so than that, Jesus willingly chose the plan. John 17, 24, he's praying to God the Father, and he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He says, I came here to do a job, to glorify you, and I've done it. Right? Like, I'm all in on this thing. John 18, 11, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This is when they're trying to arrest Jesus and like going for the ear of the guy, you know what I'm talking about? Like he's trying to defend Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, no, put your sword away. This is what I came for. Like why are you trying to stop this? Like this is the moment. This is what we've been building. This is the plan. He made it even more explicit in John 10, 18. He says, no one, talking about his own life, Jesus says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He's like, nobody's making me do this. I chose this. This is my plan. I want this for you. I'm coming here for you. If I want to walk away, I can walk away. I have the authority to make it all stop and let you all just burn. But I'm here for this reason. This is my plan. This is what I'm meant to do. Not only did he come to glorify God and fulfill the plan and save us, but he did all of that, not only knowing the plan, but executing the plan. He didn't walk away. He knew how to get it done. We've been working really hard the last couple weeks on um, Christmas and stuff. And I want you to see, don't look right there, but everywhere else, look at these awesome Christmas decorations. Um, Our creative team has worked super, super hard. And we all got together in a a room a couple weeks ago and just started doing a creative planning meeting to say, hey, what can we do this year? And throwing out ideas and and, and that's usually actually the easy part, right? Getting in the room and throwing out the ideas and coming up with the plan is actually not that hard. It's the execution of the plan, right? If you're going to execute a plan, you have to have people who have wisdom and knowledge and ability to actually do that, right? And we have to have people on our team like Fawn who can draw all of these things out by hand so that we can create them. We have to have people like John who can tell us, okay, don't use that material because that'll happen. Use this other material instead. And so we have to put the materials together just right. We have to have Leah and Blythe who can go and get the materials and bring them together and make a plan to get things assembled and painted and then people coming in at the last minute like Damon and Courtney to help paint and put things like, it takes a, a, a big job to execute the plan, right? God not only knew the plan, He had the ability, Jesus had the ability to execute the plan. Nothing was going to stand in his way to carry out what he had come to do. He was going 
to get it done. He was the wonderful counselor. He had the perfect plan with the perfect timing, with the perfect execution to see it through. And the same is true for your life. He has a plan. And he has the perfect timing. And he is guaranteed to see it through to completion. The execution will happen. Did Jesus regret coming and fulfilling the plan and going to the cross and doing the whole thing? Absolutely not. I I venture to say that if he had to, which he doesn't, he would do it again. If that's what he took to execute and bring to completion the promise, the prophecy, the plan that God had to save his people, that's what a wonderful counselor does. He knows it and he carries it out. My joy this Christmas will come as I trust God's execution of the plan. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm all for God's plan. I'm trusting God's plan. Now let me do it. Anybody else guilty of that one, right? Like, no, let, me, let me do the execution part. No, no, no. We gotta trust his plan and trust his execution of the plan. That's what it means to trust the wonderful counselor. God had a plan for his son. The son had a plan for his life. Last thing today, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Yes, the all-knowing, infinitely wise, wonderful counselor knows you intimately and personally and has a plan for your life. He knew you before you were ever even created. Psalm 139, verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God knew you before you were ever even a thought to anybody else. He knew you before you were created. He loved you before you were created. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. A lot of times when we think about everlasting, we only think forward, that it's gonna go forever. But everlasting means everlasting both directions. That God's love has always existed and pre-existed any of us here. He knew you, he loved you, and he had a plan for you before you were ever even created. Ephesians 2.20, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, who God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He had a plan for your life before you were ever even a thought. Why? Why would the God of the universe do that? 
Why would he care to plan out my life? He's got plenty of stuff going on, right? It's because he loves you. First Peter 5, 6 through 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He's like, you don't have to stress over the plan. <laughs> just, just come on over here, man. I'll care for you. Psalm 29, 11, May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. That's what God wants to do in your life. That's what he wants to do right now in the Christmas season. I know that seems like the ever-elusive you know, rabbit at Christmas is peace. That's what God has for the ones that he loves. He wants to put peace in your life. Romans 8, 28. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who are followers of Jesus, his goal, his plan, his hope for your life is good. He wants good for you. But for that to happen, for us to experience the care and the peace and the good, it means us coming to him and trusting his plan. Trusting the wonderful counselor. So how do we do that? How do I get myself lined up with his plan? How do I find out what it is and follow that? I'm going to end with this scripture here. Many of you have probably heard this a hundred times. But if we can take it off of the coffee cup and actually apply it to our life, we might actually find God's plan through this. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord, not your own understanding. Translation, he's got a better plan, okay? Like, give up your plan, leave it on the side, go with his plan, and trust in him, and it will go better for you. Trust in the Lord, not in yourself. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge there means to, to acknowledge that he is better, that he is higher, that he is wiser than you are. Submit to that. Seek him because he has what you need. He has the wisdom to plan. And he will make, your straight, make straight your paths. He'll direct you into the perfect plan, into the perfect path. He will lead you where you need to go. It's not about you figuring out the details. It's not about you lining it all up. It's not about you, you know, carving out, okay, God, here's what I want to happen now. Your turn, right? Like, it's, no, no. I'm gonna stop with the plans. I'm gonna trust you and your plan and submit to that and let you lead me into the better way. One night, there was this couple who had ordered this Christmas present for their kids and they were so excited about this Christmas present. So it came in and they were gonna have to assemble it. Parents, right? 
So it comes in, they pull out the instruction manual, they get it out and they're starting to look at it, and they pull out all the pieces and they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> the instruction manual was to the treehouse that they had ordered. The supplies were to a sailboat. <laughs> the company had mixed some things up and so they contacted the company and said, hey, we've got the plans, but we have, we got the right plans, but the wrong supplies and what are we going to do? And, there were, and the company responded with this. While we regret the inconvenience that this mistake must have caused you, it is nothing compared to that of the man who is on a lake somewhere trying to sail your treehouse. <laughs> but seriously, wouldn't that be horrible, parents? Like you're so excited about this gift, you get it and you can't put it together and you don't have it to deliver. It, it's, it's, it's hard, it's hurtful, it's painful when the plans don't match the circumstances. You've had that in your life, right? Maybe even at Christmas. I've got a plan over here. This is what we're doing. This is how it's going to work. And then it doesn't. And you have to adjust, right? Sometimes... It doesn't go the way we planned. We all have big plans, right? How things should work, how things should go. And when the circumstances don't match, it's hard to swallow that sometimes. I'm sure, um, you know, you, you had this, this huge unexpected car repair happen, or you didn't get your Christmas bonus this year. And all of a sudden, the money for Christmas presents is looking pretty bleak. And the plan is all messed up, Right? Or maybe it's, you know, you had this great plan. You're going to have this, all the extended family over. It's going to be this great time getting all the family together. We're finally going to have a great Christmas together. And, and then sister and dad are fighting again. And now everyone's going to be miserable for another Christmas. Or this is finally going to be the Christmas where none of the kids have the flu. And then the last day of school, one of them comes home with the fever. We have our plans and we have circumstances that don't always match the plans. And that's what zaps our joy. Because we're so hung up on holding tight and fast to the plans, like it's got to happen this way. And we think we can control it, and we just can't. You'll have more joy when you realize that you don't have any control. It's better just to release the plans to the Lord and let him figure out how this is going to work. What if, what if the majority of the stress and worry and fear and pain that you feel is actually self-induced? Because you're holding so tight to your plan. What if this Christmas we would just release all of that to the Lord? What if we would just say, Lord, whatever you want to do is fine. Uh, I'm with you. You're the wonderful counselor. I trust you. However you want to play this, I'm fine with that. I'm just going to go along with whatever plan you have for us. That might be a true Christmas miracle right there. But if you do that, I can guarantee you will experience more joy this Christmas season.
my joy this Christmas will come as I trust in God. Not just the plan, not just the timing of the plan, not just the execution of the plan, but as I trust in God himself as the one who has it all together, joy will begin to flood your heart. But for all that to work, first and foremost, I have to trust in Jesus. Right? Everything we're talking about today hinges on the fact that I actually have a relationship with God. And that's the whole reason for Christmas. Right? It's not just for fun and games and presents and meals. And it's because God looked down and he saw people who were broken and sinful and in need of a savior. People who could not fix our sin problems ourselves. We could not get ourselves out of the hole. We could not make it better. We needed God to step in and fix it. And he said, okay, I will. I'm going to send my son to be born in a manger. No fanfare. No, no attention. Just lowly, humble, in a manger. And he's going to grow up and he's going to live a perfect, sinless life with the purpose and the plan of going to the cross and dying a sinner's death. Not for his sin, for my sin, for your sin. He is our substitute. He took the wrath and and the vengeance and, and the guilt of our sin upon himself so that we could be set free, so we could be clean, so we could be given new life, forgiven for every sin that we've ever done against God. And he went into the grave, and three days later, he rose back to life to prove, yes, I am indeed the king. I am the Messiah. I am God in flesh. And now I'm offering you forgiveness grace, eternal life, if you'll trust in me. Very familiar verse that we oftentimes somehow miss at Christmas. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, what? Believes. Believes believes in him shall have eternal life. That's how you get it. That's where it starts. It starts with belief. You want joy this Christmas? Here's the equation. Believe plus submit plus follow equals joy. Believe Jesus came for your sins. Submit your life to him and let him forgive you and make you clean. And then follow his plan. And you'll have joy. As I said at the beginning, joy is having no regrets because I'm following God's perfect plan. That's what we need. That's what he's calling us to. That's what the wonderful counselor desires for us. Contrary to common experience, contrary to our last however many years of doing Christmas, Christmas does not have to be stressful and exhausting and heavy. You don't have to walk away from that party or that family gathering or that conversation with regret over what you just said or what you just did or what you just felt. 
There is joy to be had as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. But it comes through him, through trusting him as your wonderful counselor. Trusting, submitting your life to his perfect plan. So I challenge you, try it. Just try it this year. Just see. Just see if something's different as you open your hands a little bit, release a little bit of the so-called control that you have, and let God do something new and fresh and hopefully better and experience the joy in your life of just following the Lord. Put him first. Let his divine wisdom lead you into better paths this Christmas. Will you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you, God, for, Lord, just your, your truth, your love for us, Lord, the ways that you care for us, the ways, Lord, that you bring peace and joy and goodness into our lives, Lord God. Lord, that's what we all desire. That's what we want. That's what we're longing for and looking for. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us and caring for us and watching over us and having a plan for our lives. We confess today you are indeed the wonderful counselor. And we, your people, submit to your plans. Work in our hearts. Lord, help us release our plans and just humbly fall on you and your perfect wisdom. We love you. We submit to you, our great and glorious King. We pray this in Jesus' name.